Welcome back to the Siding Lap, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. Now, last week's episode, we did a end of season review for MotoGP. So we thought it's only right that because MotoGP has an award ceremony at the end of every season, that we would have our own award ceremony, the TSL Awards. Some would call it a new inaugural event. (laughs) So (laughs) we're going to run you through our nine different categories for um, the season, ranging from best livery to best performance to best rookie. So yeah, shall we just jump straight into it? So between the siding lap members, we all took a vote and the winners win each class. So, you know, the answer with the most votes basically wins each category so kicking off then we're going to start with category number one which is best livery of the season this also includes special designs that were run throughout the season as well and our winner is the retro grassini bike in Mizano. what do we think ladies and gentlemen what do we think I had another Misano bike. I voted for another Misano bike, but it was really, really good. I mean, Misano is always, it's always nice because so many people bring new helmets, new liveries, and it's just, you go there and you're looking at the screen and you're just seeing so many bikes that you've never seen before. I mean, there was also the Aruba ET IT bike, and it was so great. I genuinely loved it, but at the same time, when it was sunny, it was a bit reflective in my eyes. Like, it was really bright. That's a good (laughs) thing. You know, I feel it's a bit like um, the McLaren livery in Monaco last year, where it looked so good on the photos, but on track, it wasn't as nice. Like, it still looked very good, but yeah, (laughs) I think I'm a bit biased towards the VR46 bike. (laughs) can you tell who Anna quoted for (laughs) oh I said it (laughs) (laughs) no I just thought this was an unbelievable livery I actually said it when I was talking to the girls earlier that I think the VR46 bike the special livery ran in Mizano looked better on track when we were there watching it um because myself and Anna were there obviously um so I think seeing it there that bike definitely stood out the most but when I went back and watched all the replays and the races and I seen that white Grissini livery I just like hands down it was definitely the best of the season and obviously the the nice nod to it obviously being a replica of one of Fausto Grissini's bikes I think just makes it that little bit more special I yeah. think it would be really good with the ladders as yeah. well. Like that it looked really simple and it was clean and it, the way it just it just encapsulated that area of bikes as well. And it just it just looked really, really, really nice. And it was a nice, like you said, it's a nice nod to what it represented as well. Yeah. I think actually why I liked it so much is because I actually really like Alex Marquez's normal season livery with LCR Honda. And that to me is more of an old style. Mm. bike like I think that livery looks like it could be out of the 80s you know it is so it is almost retro obviously it's very up-to-date and on an up-to-date bike but I think that's that style of bike definitely the old classic retro style I yeah I think that's why I liked it so much I think Alex Marquez's would be up there too even though I I picked Grissini. Lauren's just a bit (laughs) (laughs) old-fashioned yeah you could say that (laughs) definitely 
So some other mentions that we had that unfortunately did not win the category. Anik obviously mentioned the VR46 livery in Mazzano. We had a vote for Philip Salach's um, <laughs> Grissini livery, which Grissini seemed to be a, a very common factor in voting in this round. Pretty much everyone said Grissini of some form, <laughs> which is quite I think fun. the reason. I think the reason why is the Grissini... Philip Salach Gazzini livery is what I would think the TSL bike would be in my brain. Really? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know. That's just what I would think. If I was to pick a bike for TSL, that's what I would pick. And I just, I really like the colours and the way it complemented the, the like, the lime green. That it's, I don't know, like, the neon yellow. It's, like, a yellow or a green. I don't know which one's which. Yeah. But, you know, no, like, it's, like, that sort of colour. The way that, like, it they complement each other, I really, really liked. Yeah, I've been raving about this livery all season to my dad and my dad was like if you don't vote for it something is wrong with you so I had to vote for it <laughs> yeah definitely we've been raving have... or go ahead <laughs> I do have to say that I liked the Moto2 Grissini bike better for yeah. livery wise design wise than the MotoGP one mm. well mainly because I think it the red clashed a bit with the bluish color of the bike mm. yeah is it bad that I think Ineas bike looked better than Fabio Di Giantonio's just for that simple reason of him having the pink that complemented so much nicer than yeah. the red of Digi's so yeah it's quite funny that when we think about it at the start of the season it was such a controversial livery yeah. that everyone I was, was just like, about <laughs> to say that I was like yeah. it's kind of funny because everyone on like Twitter and stuff was saying how much they like didn't like the livery yeah. and stuff and now everyone's kind of got to love it yeah definitely you so. think it looked better on track than in the first promo photos. It yeah. really didn't look that great there. New things as well. Like it's a new bike. We haven't seen it before. I think it was a bit of a shock that they picked the colors that they did. But now looking at it, it makes them so stand out. And I think that's why people like it now. Like they're so easy to spot and you know who everyone mm -hmm. is. And yeah, I think everyone's come to love it. Well, us at the siding lap have come to love it anyway. Everyone can. <laughs> Can come at us now for all saying that we Because <laughs> I'm nearly sure at the start of the season, some of us said that we didn't like it. I think I said I didn't like it. I, I definitely said that I didn't like it. <laughs> I think I went through phases because at the beginning, <laughs> I really, I was like, oh, maybe it has to grow on me. Then within the first races, I really liked it. Then they started getting the red wings and then I disliked it again. So it was a whole... <laughs> I went through a lot of emotions with that bike. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. So there we are. Our winner for the best livery is Grissini's retro livery in Misano. So moving on then to category number two, which is best helmet design, also including special helmets. So this one was quite difficult because most of us had different answers, to be honest. None of us could decide. Mm -hmm. So we always say we're the same person, until a question like this comes up and you see all of our differences come right here, which is quite <laughs> funny. But we had a winner in the end and we're running with the theme of Grissini. It was Enea Bascianini's pink sort of monster. I don't know how to describe it. His beast helmet. His beast. Because yeah. he is yeah. the beast. He is the beast. But yeah, that one took the top spot. I have to say, I, I do really, really like that one. But I went for a more a special one basically I went for Alonso Lopez's Alonso helmet that he ran in Valencia because I just thought that was really funny and I liked the joke behind it and you know in Australia a couple of weeks before he was running around with 
the ace card up his leathers <laughs> and all. Like, I just really liked that whole theatric stuff that he had going on towards the end of the season. So as much as I do really like Emea's Bashanini's helmet, I I did vote for Alonso Lopez. Yeah, I still believe that my pick was the best, as always. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> no, but I think, like, Dovi's last helmet, the tribute to all his big moments in his career, was really nice to see. It, it was giving a bit, like, Valentino Rossi's last helmet. Like, it's so emotional. You look back at a great, great career, and it's just so nice to see. Do you know saying that actually it makes me realize that none of us voted for Johan Mir's Valencia helmet, which was the tribute to yeah. Suzuki. Just that looking at all of our answers here, it was gorgeous. Yeah. There were too that many was good the helmets. Two that I was debating between, like, so I picked um, an Abashini special helmet in Mizano, and it's the pink one with like the comic on the back, and it's I really liked. I like bikes that uh, I like helmets that look good on bikes. Like when you go around, you can like see who they are. And yeah, I just really liked an Abashini's design, especially with the beast on it and the standard helmet. It just for me, it really just stood up, stood out, and I could always see who who he was on track, where he was on track. Yeah, I think it complements really well because the the bit at the front is pink, mm. and yeah. his number is pink, and he has the pink accent, so. I think that's why it sort of goes so well because his helmet does fit in with his leathers and the design of the bike mm-hmm. so well. I'm saying that, that um, being able to pick riders out is a really, I think, what is what makes a helmet so good. Mm-hmm. You know, being able to spot a rider going around the track and going, oh, that's so and so. And I actually have to give a mention to Fabio Quattararo. Yeah. I was about to say the same. <laughs> yeah, <because laughs> he was thinking also... of the, the last two races that I've been to. I've always been able to pick Fabio Quattararo out. Now, I know Frankie Morbidelli, who's his teammate, runs a slightly different bike. You know, he's got the green and the green accents, whereas Fabio has the red. But there's just something about that Yamaha that, and with the red helmet, like the blue and the red, I think it, it complements each other yeah, so it works well. really well. I don't know how it works color theory wise because it shouldn't work. The dark yeah. blue, the monster green, and the crimson red i don't know why it works but it does does. and i think it's mainly i think fabio just makes it work (laughs) probably Probably does have something to do with it yeah some other mentions have to be aaron canet's um normal season helmet because that design is so cool and it's like the design Mm -hmm. of his tattoos almost is like replicated on his helmet i think that's really just a nod to who he is and Obviously, the whole story came out this year with the bow tie and the reason why he wore it. And I think that's, I think that just makes the helmet even nicer. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. another nod to that he's just a normal person. I love that I'm... it matches his boots and his gloves because you can I, always that's spot what I was him. Just about to say. Yeah. But see, the thing is, is I didn't realize it matched his boots and his glove until like four races ago. And I said, and I was saying, I said it to some, I said it in the group chat and Jules was like, how did you not notice? And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just yeah, didn't, and, it just didn't and, click, but now I do. And now it's like every single time. Yeah. The bit underneath that arms as well. Yeah. Like I know him and Fabio both have it. Like Aaron has his tattoos, like the design of his tattoos under there. And it, and Fabio has like twenties, but it's like in a really cool pattern. And I just yeah. think that bit of the leathers, like, You'd never think to like put a design there, but people have, and it's really cool. 
yeah. I love the writers who take the the extra attention to detail. I mean, I'm sure they all do in some way, but there are some that just stand out a little bit more than others. What I have to say about Aaron Canitz, though, is Ben Snyder has a really similar design. And every mm. time he crashes or Canitz crashes, I always get confused as to who's who. And I'm like, wait, which one fell off here? So that was that was a wee bit confusing, but I like both of their designs, so I can't can't really fault it. And another special mention has to go to Maria Herrera's special breast concert tribute helmet when she did a wild card round in mm. Aragon. Yep. Yes. Yes. It's been that long ago now. It was a lovely <laughs> pink um pink helmet, which obviously represents something really nice and obviously having her there with an all-female team just made it so special yeah I really liked that one it's great to see people raise awareness for deeper issues in the society because we Mm -hmm. often get into this bubble where we get a bit superficial in the sense of we're so focused on the results of these riders and stuff like that instead of just taking a step back what like looking being a bit more interested in yeah looking at the bigger picture yeah looking at the bigger <laughs> picture and just yeah it's nice to see that these people also care about important yeah. issues and are not afraid to speak up and support a good cause yeah definitely so on to the next category then we have the best feel good moment of 2022 And again, running with the Grassini theme, we have Enea Bastianini's win in Qatar celebrating with Nadia Padovani on the podium. Again, just the sentiment behind it and winning for Grassini for the first time and everything that has happened over the last couple of years. I'm just, yeah, Mm. I'm in awe really of that performance and I couldn't go past it for the feel-good moment. I know there's been loads but this was the the start of the season. It kicked off the season and mm. yeah, it really sticks in my mind as as a, a feel-good moment. Yeah, I mean, I, we, me and Alex spoke about this in last week's episode, but this one was really special. And I feel like the, I, I don't know, to me, night races always feel really special because it like we, you all know, Qatar is my home. And the fact that it happened there and that Nadia Padovani was the first woman on the podium was uh, really, really special. And not first woman. I meant first uh, team principal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and but... Jenny Anderson was the first woman with Mark Marcus last year on the podium. Yeah, um, but first team principal, and it just it was really really special. Yeah, I yeah, it still gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Yeah, it does. I think it was even more special because obviously they they were like basically a brand new team with Ducati. Mm-hmm. Like obviously they were with Aprilia last year. And they didn't know how good the bike was going to be. They didn't know how well the team was going to work together and straight out of the blocks. And there goes and wins the first race of the season. Mm. It's yeah. just insane. It was special. It really set up how the rest of his season was going to go because there was yeah. a moment of like, he's going to win this championship in his second yeah. year on a new bike. Yeah, there there was hope for definitely the first quarter of the season anyway there and I think that moment was just yeah so special and like like Catherine said like it, it does just stick out in my memory and it gives me goosebumps now to be honest it's it's so mm. special 
And then we have to move on to some honourable mentions, of course, for the best feel-good moment of the season. Now, most votes were for Anaya winning in guitar, but we did have a few other votes. We had Jake and Fabio celebrating Ayumi Sasaki's first win in Park Fermi, which was another really heartwarming moment. We also we should have named this category heartwarming. Yeah. Moment because to be honest, that is a really good heartwarming moment, seeing friends support each other. And you know that those three are really good friends in the paddock and you always see them going around and, and chatting with each other before sh- sessions start. So yeah, I really liked that moment as well. It was very special. Yeah. I just had to choose it because it's also you have all three classes combined and yeah. it's yeah. sometimes it feels a bit like Jake and Fabio being Ayumu's dads. <laughs> so they are like a little family <laughs> always looking out for each other, which is so great to see. We've seen Ayumu, Jake, Fabio supporting each other every time something went wrong or we've seen Fabio pushing Ayumu's bike when he needed a little kickstart. We've seen them celebrate together. We've seen them in their respective uh, pit boxes giving each other help. It's just so great to see. And Ayumu has been for quite some time in the category compared to other riders so seeing him getting his first win especially after this entire Qatar misery for him yeah. it was just so nice to see how everyone was just so relieved and happy yeah like yeah. I think the whole paddock was happy about that one maybe not the people that he beat in the race but otherwise I think everyone was really happy to see him standing on the tops the top spot you know he's a really liked character and yeah, it's nice. I think to even that... his competitors were happy for him. Yeah, I think apart from maybe the people that he beat, like on the podium, maybe. But other than that, I, I think everyone was happy. And yeah, because mm-hmm. it is a a solo sport, pretty much. I know you're working for a team, but you know you're out for yourself and you're out for your results. And to see so many people be happy because someone has won, yeah, I think that yeah. goes into saying um the reaction to Alicia Spagro's first win in Argentina I think those two go hand in hand together because so many people were celebrating and I say this so many times I have done a complete 180 on my opinions of Alicia Spagro this season because like what a man like he a lot of people wanted him to leave the class and you know we're slagging him off that he didn't have any results um Jorge Lorenzo (laughs) but you know he did it and he, he silenced mm. all the haters, basically. And I, I really love stories like that. So I mm. definitely at my words over the last few years. And yeah, I'm one of Alicia Sparger's biggest fans. And I, I really love seeing him do well. So, so, seeing him cry, immediately <laughs> yeah. calling his wife and children. Yeah. It was just was so, so cute. cute. It was there. Yeah. 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 So nice. Even I cried. I was in the club. I was, I was crying. crying. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, that yeah. <laughs> that was really good it was a nice moment yeah I think seeing a lot of riders win their first race or or win their first championship or something like a very big breakthrough moment in their career I think is always something that's going to be a feel-good moment I love the release of emotion that they have because it's like they're really for finally doing it and it's just it's such a human moment if that makes sense like you you see them in this vulnerable position and they're showing off their emotions and it's just you forget sometimes that they are human and yeah it's just really nice that reminds me of jack miller last year 
was it mm. Le Mans, his first win? One of I can't remember which one it was in 2021, but I remember his first win yeah. on the factory Ducati bike. And he had that release of emotions and he was just sitting down on his own in Park Ferme and he was just bawling his eyes out. And the picture, I can picture the, the picture in my head. And that was just such a a moment of yeah these people are human and they have human reactions to things and mm-hmm. they aren't superhuman they're just like us and I, yeah I think that's why it's such a, a feel-good moment you know they're achieving something great it's especially yeah. if it takes you a couple of years of all age it took yeah. him 12 years 18. there's so eight, eight in MotoGP was in MotoGP like oh, yeah in all costs yeah. yeah but if you're looking oh yeah he didn't have a win in Moto2 he's never yeah. won in Moto2 yeah. history so yeah. that's so much time you're basically giving your entire life to the sport and to finally achieve that result I mean there are good other results that he has achieved beforehand but people will always look at your win ratio yeah. and it's yeah. just nice I mean I think we would have all chosen Ole's win over Ineas if he didn't, if there wasn't this entire emotional Grissini story yeah. behind it, because it's only Ineas' second year in MotoGP. So, yeah, in I general, think, yeah, yeah, I think Ineas' win would have been notable had he been riding maybe for another manufacturer, because any rider's first win is, like we've said, always really memorable. But yeah, the just the story that goes behind it I think yeah. yeah I think that's what makes it so special yeah it's it's the faith that Fausto put in him and obviously he's yeah. no longer with us and it, he did it for him and he said it um, afterwards in Park Fermi that Fausto was there and it, it it was just that yeah like we keep saying the, re- the release of emotions and it yeah. was just it was just something different I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it but yeah a bit the same like this year sadly uh, Dietrich Mateschitz passed away, like the um, founder of Red Bull, which in- initially it was just an energy drink. But if you're looking at not only MotoGP or Formula One, but so many different sports, it's mm-hmm. football, cycling, so many crazy sports, and yeah, more, like cliff uh, diving. Uh, he's without him, there are hundreds of thousands of athletes who would have never gotten a chance and I think it's the same with Fausto where it's just nice to see yeah they are so passionate about not only the sport but also the people in it which is really Mm -hmm. nice to see yeah yeah it's like their legacy has been carried on yes it's sort of like the I know not really but like the vr46 academy it's something that we're seeing more now like obviously the vr46 academy is now a, a thing you know it's something that we're like oh they're a vr46 rider they're part of the academy what fausto did and how he helped so many riders was like the academy i think that's a really good way to describe it of how he nurtured and helped a lot of riders yeah mm-hmm. it wasn't the same that they you know they don't go all training together at the ranch but just you know looking out for people and and giving them rides and okay the results may not be there but giving them chances which people yeah. need you know it's it's a really really tough sport and yeah just nice yeah. before we get too upset though shall we <laughs> yeah. move on yes. I get sad I talking about it so yeah the best feel-good moment of the season has to be Anaya Bastianini winning in guitar for Grassini 
Moving on to something slightly more light-hearted, we have the funniest moment of this season. Now, there was some quite good answers, but there was an overwhelming response for <laughs> the madness that occurred after the Moto2 race in Thailand with the golf cart buggy thing having a crash with Tony Arbolino <laughs> and Philip Salach rolling around in the mud. It was just chaos, but by far the funniest moment of the season. And when you look at all the on-track action that we have, somehow them rolling around <laughs> in the rain is a, is a standout funny moment to us, which I just think is hilarious. You know, that's another thing of, we got to see some personality out of these people. You know, they are real people. And yeah, that, there was a release of motions after the, the Thai Grand Prix, even though it got cancelled after what, like seven laps, but it was still good fun. And I really enjoyed it at <laughs> five in the morning. It brightened my yeah, mind. That was, like, <laughs> I think it made it even more funny that we were all like delusional. Sleep by <laughs> Like... <laughs> sat there watching this golf buggy <laughs> crash <laughs> and then like drive through this muddy puddle yeah. and then yeah. Tony and Philip decide to get out and slide through the puddle it's just the only <laughs> image that I have in my head is Alan Garnett being yeah. turned around talking to who said in the bag I think it was Salah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it was Salah. He was feeling the buggy crashing, wailing his arms, <laughs> out, screaming his head. Off. <laughs> like, like so you, like he's a he rides in Moto Two and crashes at like however many miles per hour. And <laughs> when a buggy's going at what five miles per hour and crashes, he's like, "Wow!" Yeah, <laughs> there has to be an honorable mention since we're talking about this moment. There has to be an honorable mention to Dios Miller. For coming out with the best meme of the season, which was yeah. the, when the the cart crashed, they did the the crash like symbol that would come up on your screen oh, yeah. when a rider crashes on track, and it was like all riders okay, and it was like Hamlet, <laughs> Arbelino, Salach, like I can do it no justice describing it. So go and check that one out on Dios Miller because it is so funny. I think Dios mm. Miller needs a shout out in itself. Yeah, giving yeah. away that one award at the MotoGP uh, FIM Awards. Great. Iconic. Great. That was we love to see it. Like yeah. content creators yeah. doing, getting involved in the sport. It's great to see. Yeah. It's what we need. And I think another shout out to Dios Miller was another crash meme that happened during the rain <laughs> break in during the Indonesian Grand Prix where we had Fabio Quattararo trying to be a, sh- uh, a shaman and or a shaman or whatever you call it. And he was <laughs> swirling around his ice cream spoon in his wee cup and he dropped it and everyone was having a good a good laugh at that. Another delusional up in the middle of the night watching races, I think is what made that so funny. But yeah, Dios yeah. Miller as a whole needs a shout out for making this. <laughs> so funny. It is- just seems a bit like a fever dream. Yeah, <laughs> they are. <laughs> This is very off topic, but I just have another submission and I think you will all agree with us uh, or with me. Um, We had a Moto3 gravel fight Um, (laughs) 2.0. This time it wasn't John McPhee and Jeremy Alcoba. No, this time it was Holm Sia and Kaito Tuba in Valencia. I know we talked a lot about in about it in the race review, and I was not very happy about the behavior. But at the same time, if you're looking back at it, it's a bit funny. It's funny. No just one because got hurt. 
they're in their leathers and their helmets <laughs> and Messia like open hand slaps Toba and I think that's what makes it so funny because it just looks so petty like I don't condone fighting in the grapple trap I think it's really childish but at the same time it it did give me a it bit makes of a for good memes yeah. also it's, yeah. not the, it's not the first time this season that uh Homer was involved in a weird gravel trap fight because he also had that thing with Minio and I can't remember who hit who but someone hits after a crash hit hits him yeah on the head so he's been remember by the fighter this season he had loads of beef with people was it Munoz that kept overtaking him and making really harsh moves and then Messia like did a really harsh move back and was basically telling him to wise up during one of the races. I think it was like, yeah, because yeah, he like pointed it. He was like, you've got to follow me, like stop. And we were yeah. like, well, oh. but it wasn't just and... one of those like tap the back of his bike. Like, no, that we like, see all the time. It was Munoz had made the move and then it was Missy and made the move back in the same corner, like a lap later. And then was like big with the gestures of like, would you stop doing this basically? So he, he was giving him a bit of a, a bit of a lesson and a bit of a telling off. He also had a fight with Dennis Foggia in the pit lane, like when they were both riding into the pit lane. It was something either in the last minutes of FP3 or in qualifying where it was something about impeding Dennis and Dennis was furious. You just have, I think it's one or two minutes where you just see Dennis going full Italian with the hand gestures. This season has been so chaotic. Yes. (laughs) Anytime that there's Italian hand gestures. Oh, Tony Arbolino did it to Sam Lowe's in one of the races. He went oh. full Italian and he was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any any moment that they go full Italian is a funny moment. The Mark VDS team against Augusto Fernandes, where they also had this big fight. Yeah. Okay, I think we completely went off topic and we <laughs> are having award for the biggest fight right best now. fight of the season <laughs> yeah. yeah all of those would be up there but yes back on to the the funniest moments then oh this is actually a good one i've just read the answer here i don't know if people have seen it or not but there's a very very funny video of fabio Cotteraro at the moto gp after party after the award ceremony where he set <laughs> his friend's hair on fire with uh, a sparkler, sparkler. basically he was a bit intoxicated, <laughs> shall we say. And for some reason, thought, I'm going to put this sparkler on his head. And the guy's <laughs> head just went up in flames. And it is, it's sucks. Like, this guy had, best. like, long, like, yeah. shoulder-length hair, I'd say, as well. So it was not, like, a short piece of hair. <laughs> this was, like, half of his head. <laughs> the best part was to see Mathilde Pancherat's reaction at the background. Also, he did it once, the hair really lit up in flames and then they put the fire out and then he went there again. He was in a devilish mood that night. Do you know the best thing about it? He was holding a bottle of vodka in his other hand so he was celebrating a a good season, I should say. I mean, I can I support it like not the it. arson, but <laughs> yeah, I, but the the rest, a good like, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was that friend's. I'm pretty sure it was his birthday the other day, and yeah, like was. Fabio wasn't he wasn't drunk this time, but he had another sparkler, and he was like is. doing it again, like as a joke. But 
it's yeah it was just so funny because like he keeps doing it now and bringing it up yeah <laughs> I've be... forgotten about that one <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a good meme and Anik you said about um Matilde's reaction Tom's reaction was even better a lot of you'll know Tom for being Fabio's right hand man in the video he just stood there and was dancing and did not <laughs> notice at all and I really vibe with that, to be honest. Like that attitude. Just pretend like, it's not happening. I, <laughs> I think Tom was just like, I've supported you this entire season. He was like, Whoa. like Patel can take <laughs> over. Nothing's now. happening. Yes. <laughs> this I'm is not my too. That's how you know you're you're done with your friends' antics when you just don't care about them lighting someone else's barrel. <laughs> he was done. Almost probably point. like, I'm glad it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Okie dokie then. So yeah, the funniest moment was the Thai Grand Prix golf cart incident. Very, very funny. Then moving on. We have the biggest heartbreak moment of the season. Now, I don't really want to say the winners of this because it is really sad. But the the most votes went to Suzuki announcing that they were leaving at the end of the 2022 championship. I mean, during the season when it got announced, everyone was sort of, you know, it was just so confusing and then as the season went on, it just got more and more heartbreaking to see that two riders were going to be out of jobs and the entire the entire Suzuki team, like it's not just riders that are losing their jobs. It's, a, you know, it's mechanics, it's PR managers, you know, it's all sorts of people. And I think that's the really sad thing about it. And I thankfully, Johan Mayer and Alex Rins have both got rides for Honda, but, you know, there's a lot of people going to be, be left short and out of jobs now, which is really upsetting to see and I love Suzuki and the Suzuki bikes are gorgeous and you know they've won a championship with Johan Mir in 2020 so yeah them leaving is is really sad but at the same time it's not the first time we've seen it so I say give it five years and we might see Suzuki back again so this this heartbreak could be cut short in a few years I did you see they're crushing the bikes yeah oh they're yeah they're destroying them. all of them uh, for they money should be reasons. put in a museum Money? Not Detroit. I, no, no, no. I think it's it. They, if you put it in a museum, you still kind of own it, and then you have to pay taxes on it. They could have sold the engines to. I've seen some memes <laughs> where people said, "Yeah, Suzuki just sold the engines to Honda because Honda is so deeply in the mud. They need to the help." And to be honest, it would make sense. Japanese to Japanese would work well. You know that would go hand in hand. Two Japanese companies working together. We'll make a hybrid Suzuki Honda team. I think the saddest part about Suzuki leaving is them showing the potential they had this year yeah. because yeah. they've they had this low but that was mainly focused on the situation I think and they still managed even though we're I'm pretty sure they didn't put that much into development towards the end of the season with because it wouldn't have made sense. Well, they did a and bit. Alex Rins still managed. Oh yeah, they brought out the they brought wings. Yeah, which doesn't make sense in my eyes, to be honest. I like think... if you're leaving anyways. Yeah. But at the same time, I was I'm I'm kind of. I think it's sad, but at the same time, it's also annoying because I yeah. really started, especially for. Alex Rins, we talked about it last week. I think it's so unfortunate that we were able to see his full potential this season, yeah. how good he actually is. And now we know that he will probably be on a bike 
he deserves a better bike yeah than he will get next season I and think, that's really sad yeah i don't think alex rins would have won the championship this year but i do think he would have been in the title fight i think he would have been fighting with alicia spagro to be honest for third place because if he had the performances like he did towards the end of the season where it was more bittersweet, you know, when it was like, I've got nothing to lose here. This is my last few races for Suzuki. He just went all out and obviously won in Australia and in Valencia. And I think if we could have had that all year from Alex Rins, it would have been incredible. Like, I think Alex Rins has the potential of winning world championships. And obviously, Johan Mir does because he's already won one. And for them just to to pull out like that, yeah, it was sad. It's even at the beginning of the season we really seen yeah. how good Alex Rins was, how good was he at Kota, yeah. and then again that one race where he started twenty third and was eleventh within three corners or yeah. something like that. He he was just so so good this season, and I it's uh, it's I think it's more sad for the riders than the teammates well also for the team uh, I don't know really how to explain yeah. myself it's just so annoying the only semi good thing is I heard somewhere it was an official source but I can't remember where and when it was it must have been in the last few weeks but apparently most of the Suzuki staff found jobs within other teams yeah yeah, I mean, once Just you're in the here. MotoGP world, apparently it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's a family, you know, it's a traveling circus. And I think I would like to hope that a lot of people got took under other people's wings and that they're going to be looked after and, and helped to find other work, you know. So yeah, that was quite a, a heartbreaking moment. Some other heartbreaking moments was Remy Gardner in general this is heartbreaking. And I know a lot of people have made jokes about it and made memes about it, about how Tech 3 KTM, you know, there's been a lot of jokes about their bike this season and that Augusto Fernandez moving into MotoGP next year is going to have the same treatment, which, fingers crossed, I hope not. But they've made a horrible name for themselves, Tech 3 KTM, by pushing out the Moto2 world champion, you know, yeah. after a the, year. A year... Yes, I think they just build a kind of toxic environment around themselves where they don't give the riders the resources to do well, but at the same time they expect such high results, which is just not feasible. Like, these two things don't go together. Yeah. It's like sink or swim, but I will chain a big, like, concrete block on your feet. <laughs> it's not yeah, gonna yeah. work. Yeah, and it's, it's just it's heartbreaking. You, the thing also was like you could see the progression of the season how done Remy was with the entire situation could really see the him losing the joy and yeah that, that was difficult to watch yeah do you know mm -hmm. we've seen it with a few riders another one would be Fabio Di Antonio I don't know if you guys seen it his post at the end mm -hmm. of the season basically where he said he's yeah. fallen out of love with racing and he doesn't really know how he's going to fix that but hopefully he has a solid winter break you know I think he was expecting to come into MotoGP and to see your teammate winning races and, and getting on the podium you know it's got to be very hard then to see yourself and you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and go well why, why can't I do that my teammate's doing it on the same machinery as me you know why, why can't mm -hmm. I do this and I, I think I think 
Remy had that. I think Raul had that. I think, yeah, it was it was heartbreaking for both of them to be honest. And yeah. I mean, Raul got a ride with the new RNF Aprilia team, but and I have nothing against that. I think it's going to be brilliant. But for Remy Gardner to be leaving the class entirely, I think it's just so wrong on so many levels. Give people chances. Yeah. We've talked about it so many times this year. You you have to give people enough time to progress. And if the progression isn't there, then I fully agree. The cycle needs to move on. Yeah. But the cycle hadn't even started yet for Remy Gardner. So yeah. he literally had one year and then yeah. KTM kicked him out. It was, and-, and it was the worst, like by a mile on the grid. Like, how do you mm. expect what, what, what did they expect? I don't know what they wanted from them because yeah. they couldn't have yeah. done any better. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the most talked about things is also how they're replacing Remy with someone who he beat to the World Championship last yeah. year, like yeah. by a mile. Yeah, like him and Raul were clear of everyone. Well, they were by, like a hundred of yeah. point, hundred yeah. points, and Augusto was on a bike that was capable of that is was capable of winning championships like Alex Marquez did that so yeah. why I just don't get KTM's reasoning in yeah getting rid yeah. of Remy after one year and replacing less, with less than a year which is yeah. the worst part because you know he was out of a seat halfway to three quarters of the way through the season you know they didn't yeah. announce him which is how you knew that you know why would they delay that so long why would they not announce yeah. that they're keeping their riders or they're maybe changing one rider but for them to to keep that hush hush for so long you knew they were just waiting to see the results of Augusto Fernandez or maybe some other talent you know it's, yeah. it's I mean, not the sort of environment yeah. you want I think talking about Remy, we do have to mention Darren Binder as well. He yeah. didn't have a great season either, but at the same time, he came from Moto3. He still yeah. scored points. He had a couple of very solid race yeah. finishes, and the bike was terrible as well. Yeah. And he's also losing a seat. I do kind of understand it there more because they didn't want him in the seat initially. It was just contracts and some things where they could have been sued if they didn't get... Uh, they're in any seat so it is kind of under- like more understandable on that side but at the same time it's still just because Darren is such a controversial writer doesn't mean that he deserves that treatment either. yeah yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the good thing for Darren Binder, which I'm actually really pleased about, is that he is going to go to Moodle 2 and he's getting an opportunity you know yeah. with the intact squad which we know is is a good squad which is now teaming up with Husqvarna so there's progression there and you know I think yeah. with a couple of years of Moto2 under his belt where hopefully he can adapt to the bike get some performances in I see no reason why he can't move back to MotoGP at some point you know yeah. I know not every rider needs to go through the, the progression of Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP but for the likes of Darren Bender I think this will do him the world of good and I, I think it'll give him yeah. the time to mature because we've seen it with a lot of riders which we now have an unbelievably talented Moto2 class because the riders are are getting time to adapt to the bikes and I hope that Darren Binder can maybe get a few years and then be up running at the front fighting for championships and then the natural progression to move up to Moto GP will, will be there you know yes. I'd like to see mm-hmm. it definitely I yeah. do agree that he needs a bit more experience before 
he was just thrown into MotoGP and he wasn't prepared for it yet. Yet he still had a couple of really good performances and really good fights. I mean, seeing him fighting with his brother on track was yeah. really interesting. But at the same time, it showed that there is potential. He just wasn't ready for it. Yeah, definitely. Another heartbreaking moment. Okay. Oh, I think it's also worth mentioning that Remy's actually got a decency as well. Yes. Like, I think it's great that he's going to World Superbike, and I really hope this means that some more, like, next season is going to be crazy on World Superbike. That's all I'm saying yes. because we've got Remy, mm-hmm. we've got Danilo, yeah. we've got um, who else have we got? It's There's Dominic just so Agatha? many. Not yes, he's yes. he's moving up as well. Yeah. It's going to be one crazy season next next year in I'm World Superbike, and I'm really so looking forward excited. to it. Yeah, next year is going to be so good. We're going to see the MotoGP grid completely mixed up. People yeah. on different bikes. That's going to be very interesting. Then World Superbikes will be great. I'm I can't wait for it to start. To be honest, yeah, definitely. Sorry, moving on to another heartbreaking moment, though I feel like we can't go past this one, was Ayagura, I'm not going to say throwing away the championship, because he didn't throw it away. It was an uncharacteristic mistake in Valencia that cost him the championship. Now, he didn't have it in the bag because it's it's never over until it's over, but he still had a very, very good chance of winning the Moto2 championship and to make a mistake like he made is heartbreaking because I really wanted to see I win it and not taking anything away from Augusto Fernandez because he also deserved to win it. I would have been happy either way. It's it's never nice seeing someone miss out on, on something like that. Another heartbreaking moment had to be the second half of 2022 for Alicia Spagro. Watching those title hopes just start to slip away, it was... It was quite sad, you know, he had he had fire in his belly and he, he he was definitely in with a shot of winning the championship and I don't know if it's his inexperience, inexperience of being at the front of a championship or Aprilia's inexperience or a mixture of both that caused the, the decline, but it wasn't nice to see when he started the season I, so well. I I wouldn't say it's... It was that dramatic. I need to have a look at his stats in general. But it it might sound bad, but I never thought he would win the championship this year. Yeah. I think um they need a bit of bit more experience, as you said before, with uh getting to know the bike, getting to know the pressure under working in, in such a uh, high stakes situation and also for Alish. I mean, Alish was basically faultless the entire season. And I think, um, well, apart from that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, apart from that. But other than that, he didn't have that many crashes. He only had two DNFs, I think. No, one. And that was the one in Valencia where it wasn't even his fault, where the bike just stopped working. So you can't really fault him for that. And I think. I do well. I I hope he sees it that way. That he can be very proud of himself, what he achieved, and that especially since he signed a new contract for a couple more years with Aprilia, that he's preparing to attack next season to yeah. have this season as a learning experience, and next season to go full throttle for all the for all the laps, all the not seasons. just yeah, <laughs> um, I... yeah, the first ones. 
<laughs> I think maybe a heartbreaking bit about it was losing third in the championship to Anaya Bastianini. You know, when you look at it that way, that bit is is quite sad, you know, from going to from him going from being a mid pack rider to them being third in the championship and having the chance to you know go to the awards and and get your little certificate and you know (laughs) be honored for for your riding basically I think that one would have stung quite a bit I do feel though that he can see how much progress the Ducatis made in the second half of the season because we talk about how good Paco was but in general the Ducatis were just so much stronger than any other bike, in just, especially in the second half of the season, where you you couldn't just keep up with them. I mean, Fabio couldn't do it. Um, Oleš couldn't do it. Brad Binder couldn't do it. Alexand couldn't do it. Couldn't really do it in the sense of points wise. To yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. One last heartbreaking moment would have to be Fabio Cotrao being unable to defend his championship. I think it just goes for anyone. This literally could have been anyone. Watching someone mm. not be able to defend their championship is always quite sad for me. You know, I think it it's something so special. You want to show the world that you're not a one-trick pony, that you can do mm-hmm. this year in and year out. And to lose, yeah, it's disappointing for, for anyone. So I think the title fight being so in... Fabio's favour in the first half yeah. of the season to then dwindle away mm. because of how and strong Pecco was you know it was all down to Pecco and to Cali you know of, of how how great they are and I think that's just a bit soul destroying that there's yeah. nothing that he could have done better as a rider that would have helped him defend that title but Pekka was unstoppable in the other breath, you know. Mm. I think I definitely think that's what makes it more heartbreaking is the fact that he did the best that he could and yeah. obviously just fell short. But yeah, props to Pekka for being so strong. Yeah, it's just the helplessness for him yeah. where yeah. he's trying and he's trying and he did ask the entire time for more top speed, for more horsepower from Yamaha and he's just not getting it. And he knows himself that he is the best rider on the grid yet he's not giving or not receiving the material he's deserving as a world champion or by that point the reigning world champion I think that must be very hard to of course uh, Yamaha and all of his fans and all of his friends and loved ones supported him but he was still not getting the support that he needed from the team itself to be able to even defend and that's really sad yeah I think we can stretch that out to Yamaha Yamaha as a whole this year because Toprak also didn't receive the support he needed in World Superbikes and that led to him being unable to defend his his championship you know Ducati were able to to do the double in World Superbikes and MotoGP and I think that's down partly because they've been working on this for a long long time and they've been putting the energy into winning championships whereas Yamaha had a rider that was able to take them to a championship and not a bike and or two riders I should say that were able to take them to championships obviously being top rack and Fabio but this year you know it's hard to win a championship when you don't have a bike underneath you you can only do so you can only do so well given the machinery that you have and that's why we see the likes of Brad Bender coming out there with 
really good performances and Miguel Oliveira, you know, winning twice this season. The machinery is there sometimes, but not all the time. And that's really yeah. for a lot of riders, maybe, yeah. I guess it's a bit disappointing in a sense. I mean, after the first few races, you know which cards you were dealt. Yeah. When you've seen how the other bikes perform and mm. the other riders on the bikes perform, because there are also big differences, especially if you're looking at uh, Yamaha, for example, where only Fabio is uh, able to ride the bike. But yeah, at the same time, I do believe we've seen other manufacturers make big steps forward throughout the season and Yamaha just wasn't doing it which was just so weird I mean we've seen so many teams come and try with innovative new aero aero parts and stuff like that and Yamaha just kind of ignored that side of it even though they did their bike would be the best bike if they just had top speed that's why they don't need to bring all this aero and be innovative and innovative because if they had top speed their bike would be unstoppable i do understand yeah i do understand that you can't get more top speed and still have that much corner speed uh if you're looking at them uh, well they but at the same time they their corner speed compared compared to yamaha's is not as it's good. not as good, but it's a yeah. step up from what it was yeah. even from yeah. last year to the they last They need to find years. a balance. Yeah, yeah, I think Yamaha just say no Yamaha because just we have good corners. Don't go it's not working. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you had... You have to have so much straight line speed as well, and Yamaha just don't have that. Like, Ducati could be like so slow in the corners and they'd still win against Yamaha yeah. because they have so much top speed in the straights like i mean it's we depressing. see bikes batista was able to run away with it and again it's the riders obviously are a massive part of it you need to have a rider on the bike that is able to win a championship but that rider also needs a bike and ducati's bikes in both classes were just a head and shoulders above everyone else and once peckle yeah. got his head sorted out he was able to run away with it you know i'm gonna be very interested to see because Starting next season, the entire Moto E grip will be Ducati's and not Energica or whatever that brand is called uh, that's right. been there before. And I'm yeah. interested to see if they have to split up resources or through that change of them uh, sponsoring the entire Moto E grid, if they have more resources money-wise mm. and also like workforces because maybe Ducati it's it can either be yeah it can go three ways basically it can't change anything it can go very well or very bad for them in all categories so yeah I'm interested to see that I mean also they're they they're banning the shapeshifters both of them we're seeing the end of the front rear the front ride height device the front rear not the front (laughs) rear the (laughs) front ride height I'm having a favorite dream to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, you don't have to very, talk about them anymore. Very, that'll be very interesting because it will. Yes. Yamaha are faster in the corners. Yep. So exactly. there'll be no more whole shot front down on the yeah, start. Yeah. Nothing. 
Thank God. Thank God. I mean, we've seen it also malfunctioning a couple of times exactly. this year. Like, which is Maverick Vinales' bike, wasn't Pecco? it? Yeah. And like yeah. someone's it got stuck. Oh, who was it? Was it um Brad Binder? It got stuck down Didn't... and he was riding the whole race with it. Yeah. Compressed. Yeah. Didn't someone's I might have been Fabio, the one DNF that he had, his one got caught um it engaged with Mark 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 yeah, that's the one. Yeah, in Aragon, yeah, when he had that big crash. Yeah, a mm. massive chunk of Fabio's pet got stuck in Mark Marquez's rear wheel. And then that caused yeah. Marquez just to go on a rampage due to no fault of his own. You know, he was out mm. of control, to be honest. But yeah, that's a, a story for another day. So yeah, the biggest heartbreak moment of 2022 was Suzuki leaving. Well, like we went on a very big tangent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it wouldn't we be spoke about that for out a lot. if we didn't. <laughs> yeah, True. exactly. So we only have a few more left, but moving on to the biggest disappointment of the season. And again, I don't really want to say who the winner is, but collectively as the siding lap, we did have someone in mind when it came to being a disappointment. And that was Frankie Morbidelli. Now, Frankie, we know Frankie has the potential to win world championships. All you have to do is look at 2022. 2020 for the example because he was runner-up and he looked really strong and if he'd just been that little bit more consistent he would have had the season in the bag but from 2021 having a an ACL injury to then coming into 2022 and Yamaha having their their problems it just hasn't gone well for him and no. Ducati were able to give Peko the support that he needed whereas Yamaha were not able to do that and you have to look at Frankie Morbidelli as as the culprit there you know he wasn't able to help his teammate at all and a lot of free practice sessions you would have seen Fabio Quattararo go out first and be followed by Frankie Morbidelli and they would work together for the first sort of half of the session to try and build up lap times and then by halfway through the session Frankie Morbidelli wouldn't be able to keep up with Fabio anymore and that's not what you need in a teammate we see it in so many other teams but I think it just was the most prominent in Yamaha this year with the pairing of of Fabio and Frankie. So, unfortunately, Frankie does fall as as my biggest disappointment this year. Yeah. I mean, I said Yamaha as a whole uh, for mine because just the the promises that they made and the bike just wasn't up to standard, as we've just said before. But, yeah, I do – it was a shame to see Frankie struggling. I – think it's also because you have to contrast compared to Fabio how well yeah. he's done uh, yeah. this season it's just the, the direct comparison is just so yeah. heartbreaking in a sense yeah and it's difficult to watch I think there uh, it might not be easy for him to keep his seat because he, Lynn Jarvis uh, comments weren't very promising for him no, he's yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> he's out but next year. At the same time, I do feel like Frankie did improve. Yeah, in the yeah. last few races, because yeah. mm-hmm. he was, uh, he was still not where he should have been, but he was at least mid pack, not like, right back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> like, I mean, he, he ran in the, <laughs> he ran in the top ten in some sessions. He had more convincing performances. I think yeah. another thing, though, that, that falls into the biggest disappointment is he had, he had a lot of conduct 
issues this year. Yes. A lot of irresponsible riding, a lot of long lap penalties handed to him, a lot of riders speaking out about how they didn't like how he was riding, whether it be overtakes. Elish spoke about it in Thailand, I think, was it? Where he did a very harsh move on him on the last quarter. There was a lot of controversy around his his actual riding style this year as well, which I think falls into it. And that adds to the biggest disappointment because not only are you not performing, but then to be putting your aggression into making silly mistakes like that and getting long lap penalties, which is ruining your race from the start anyway. You know, that didn't help, I don't think, with his performance this year. also been I mean a hard overtake can I can't see how it can happen in the heat of the moment but it was a lot of cruising on the racing line during qualifying or fb3 which there is just no excuse for that you know you shouldn't do that I mean we've also seen Paco and other riders do it but it was Frankie in most cases which is a bit it's like if you ever receive a long lap penalty once it's okay if you get it twice it's not as okay anymore if you're getting it three times it's like come on get your shit together yeah I think we spent a lot of time talking about the likes of Dennis Onchu and, and Munoz in, in Moto3 about how rash they are or even Jake Dixon making moves on Augusto Fernandez at, at the end of the season and Augusto was raging with him and wouldn't shake his hand but those sorts of overtakes are fine that is racing but what frankie was doing i think in a lot of a lot of cases which was you know cruising on the the racing line and stuff and just being irresponsible that's where the line has to be drawn and especially if you're repeating the same offense over and over and over again the penalties need to get harsher but that's again another topic of you know repeat (laughs) offenders need to be penalized correctly the worst part is we all like Frankie. We yeah. want to see him in the class, but at the same time, mm-hmm. if I was a team manager, I wouldn't keep him either. No. Yeah. And that's it's just difficult because you don't want to see him leave. But the way his season was this year, it's just not good enough. Yeah, it's hard to look past it. Yeah. Another few mentions of disappointments are Honda as a whole. Now, obviously, Mark Marquez was out for quite a lot of the, the season, um, getting his fourth surgery. Um, on his arm, somehow managing to come back and looking very 2019 Mark Marquez-esque. So hopefully it's not as bad as what we think it is, but Mark Marquez saying we're not going to win any championships isn't good when you know he's on the up and he's healing and he could return to form. If he doesn't have a bike did, underneath him, he's not going to be anywhere. I was going to say, did you see in the... the So he, he's releasing a documentary in, Mar- in yes. February. Yes. Um, There's some quotes that come out of it that he directed at Honda and I can't remember the exact line so forgive me if I say it wrong but it was something along the lines of if you can't give me the bike I'm out of here yeah I there's mean, been that's a lot of yeah there's been mm-hmm. a lot of speculation there's speculation he's going to go to Ducati there's yeah. you know Lynn Jarvis I has mean said, his brother is there now yeah <laughs> Lynn Jarvis has said he will never sit on a Yamaha but stranger things have happened and that was quite a few years ago that Lynn Jarvis said that so Water under the bridge, you never know. You have to, you also have to compare. You have Franco Mobidali right now, and you could have Mark Marcus potentially. I mean, even though you might have some issues with this guy, you can resolve it. The 10 million point paycheck might be a bit more difficult to front up rather than whatever Frankie's on (laughs) because he's not on 10 million a year. And Kevin and I talked 
it's very mm. long last week in about Mark in last week's podcast yeah. episode. And I do have to say, Mark is the only part of Honda that I don't have an issue with right yeah. now. Yeah. It's <laughs> too, my, yeah. my, my biggest issue, like 80% of my issue lies within the bike. And then mm. 10% is Paul and then 5% and 5% was Alex and Taka. Yeah. But yeah, I mean... First of all, the Honda bike was terrible. Yeah. At the beginning, it looked like they made a step forward in the season that they moved past the Mark Marcus bike in the sense where they made it more accessible for all riding styles and it worked in Qatar and afterwards it didn't work anywhere anymore. No. Um, it's just weird to say to see because Honda is a championship winning team they've been for such a long time and to just get it so wrong for the past two years it's just weird to see and last year or even at the beginning of the year I tried to give Paul the benefit of the doubt where I thought he would be very good to help in uh, like on the development side yeah. and to slowly gain the confidence on the bike and achieve results it didn't have to be a win it didn't have to be a podium even but it should have been top 10 finishes and there were barely any and we all know that Paul isn't a bad rider he it just didn't work for him on that bike which is on one hand understandable on the other hand you're on a still kind of championship winning uh bike that's on also on the in the factory team yeah, I think and... I'm gonna I'm gonna give Paul the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Honda was was not the best bike when Mark Marquez was winning all his championships, and I think that says something. You know, I'm not even a big Mark Marquez fan, but a lot of it went down to who was on the bike when mm -hmm. he won all those championships, um, mm -hmm. and who he was up against. And we haven't seen anyone be able to replicate that since 2019. Mark Marquez, you know we're four years later now coming on to four years later and we haven't seen someone take that step up yeah I, I think it's unfortunate for Paul and his performances were disappointing and he wasn't good but in some sense for for all Honda riders it's going wrong it's very like Yamaha that the bike maybe wasn't ever the best bike on the grid but you had the talent you had those generational talents back in the day you know and the riders are all different now, I think, is, is a, a big part of it. You know, I don't think we're going to see another Mark Marquez in the I near future. So, do I do understand that side, but at the same time, they were still on the same bikes. Of course, one for one person, the bike suited more for, than the other. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Mark only finished 10 races this season, where he was out so many times, he was riding injured. And he still has more than double the points than Paul. Oh, yeah. He was much better. Like, hands down. You, ca you can't deny it. Mark Marquez is then, something yeah. special. Yeah. yeah. Half of Mark, uh, half of fit Mark Marquez I'd prefer to have than, like, half the riders. So. Yeah. <laughs> no um, offence to half the riders. <laughs> Not maybe that much, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. 50% Mark Marquez is, is still nearly unbeatable you know yeah. it's it's yeah. something but before we go off too much quickly then um some more disappointments had to be Aaron Canick crashing quite a lot in Moto2 I think he had big potential to win the championship this year some of the crashes were 
no fault of his own, you know, Portugal being the prime example. Coda was an awful race as well, but I think he put a lot of pressure on himself as well. I don't know if I'd call him a, a big disappointment, but it definitely wasn't the performance that I was expecting from him this season. But I hope he takes that as fuel for next season. You know, I, I hope he, he, he harbors that in the right way and comes into next season really fighting for the win. I'm actually a bit offended by whoever put that down. I it wasn't don't... me. It wasn't I me. I think it, it wasn't was... me. It... I they're not here to defend themselves. You can't go after them. <laughs> <laughs> they're not here. <laughs> You're saying it was Jules. I think it, I think Jules, it, might, yeah. be, it might be Jules, but in a different... Like, she thought about it in a different way, that it was not disappointing. Like, she wasn't disappointed in him. She was disappointed in the situation. I interpret it like that. But I do believe that he still had a pretty good season, considering that he had also a lot of unfortunate injuries, like the car crash, like the broken hand after Portimao, yeah. and he still managed to get some podium finishes. Of course, his winning streak is Zero. bad as yeah, it's non-existent. <laughs> but there was none. at the same time, but at the same time. He's uh, saying he did badly this season or his entire season being a disappointment. I don't mm. think that's fair. I don't think, yeah. yeah, I don't think that's fair. I mean, we said about it last week in the thing and it's like every pole position he crashed out from, which... Stop. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Stop I'm sorry, that. but it's true. <laughs> I <laughs> like, know. It's like, I'm like, you can't help but feel bad for that. I don't think it... I don't think he could. There were some mistakes, but I don't think he had a bad season because of it. Like he still finished third in the championship. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, yeah, that's why I mean, like it's not the biggest disappointment, but it's definitely a notable mention of it. It could have been something really special. Yeah. Like he really could have ran away with it. I'm just surprised yeah. that someone who would rather write down Aaron Connect's season being a disappointment compared to Celestino Vietti once. No, not in a bad way. Like, not in a Celestino Vietti is a bad rider, but Vietti had the worst second half of the season that anyone could imagine. It was more than the second half. Yeah, it was like after the first five races, he just spent most time in the pit lane watching the mechanics fix his bike. And that's that was it was very difficult to watch because even though if you're not a Vietti fan, it's still heartbreaking to see someone yeah. struggle so much. And I think that's the very disappointing part because at the beginning of the season, we've seen how good he is and how strong he can be and how good the bike was. But at the end, it just didn't work out for him at all. I think the difference though, that the fact that he isn't the biggest disappointment is Vietti didn't have any expectations coming into Mudo 2. Like I didn't expect him to do anything mm. and not in a horrible way but I just I wanted to see how he was going to perform and I think with Nic- Nicolo Antonelli moving up as well I think the VR46 team in general were disappointing but they were not the mm. biggest disappointment based on the fact that we had nothing to go off you know mm. we didn't know how these guys were going to perform but when you compare it to the likes of Frankie Morbidelli you know you know what to expect he has the potential to win world championships he was so close to it three years ago I, I think that's the difference and maybe with Aaron Kana being mentioned is just because we know he has the potential we've seen him in Moto2 now for a couple of years and he, he's shown that potential and to not 
be able to capitalize on that, I think maybe is the difference. Like Vietti and Antonelli were terrible. There's no two ways about it. You 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 can't sugarcoat it in any way whatsoever. Yeah. But I, I think the one saving grace that they have is that it was a new team. They're two new mm-hmm. riders, you know. We didn't know what was gonna happen. They didn't know what was gonna happen. And yeah. it just crumbled. And I think next year will be a lot better for them, but I think yeah. I would have been more okay with or not more okay, but I would understand this point of view more if he had a couple of midfield or bad results or non-scoring results. But the fact that it's been so many DNFs with where it, yeah. it was clearly his fault. Yeah. Like it 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 was like him losing the front, losing the back. It was always the same. And it's like that's the part where I can't really say it's uh, a problem on the team side because Antonali he came in as a rookie we I didn't expect anything for him for, I, well a bit more than what he delivered but at the same time yeah um Vietti mm-hmm. he showed that he or it in my opinion it looked like he felt comfortable in the first few races but yeah just at the end it didn't at one point and I don't know why because I don't think that they changed that many things on the bike we'll never do, know do you want to start <laughs> do you want to start go for it um in the last 10 races Vietti DF six times yeah and like I think that's just a bit insane and like you said I do understand both sides of it but it it, it is the way that I see it is a bit like Lauren said it is the fact that um Aaron Connect showed that, that he had the potential to, whereas Vietti sort of just dropped off. And, like, I don't think it was... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I do say that I am not disappointed in Aaron Connect, but for him, that he didn't <laughs> get it with the season, because he should have. I rewatched the Portimao Moto2 race a couple of days ago, and I just thought that should have been you on the podium, that should have been your win, but no. And it was really disappointing. And I Roberts isn't given that one away. Hit to break I will defend this man. <laughs> yeah, to, we do. To the end of time. We know. <laughs> you just have. <laughs> so anyway, though, I I said we'll move through this quickly and then we, and we, we didn't. didn't. But <laughs> well, we didn't. It. the biggest disappointment of the year was Franco Morbidelli with a few more sprinkled in there. Then moving on to the best standalone performance in any class throughout the season. It was pretty it was pretty obvious who was going to win this one. And we did have a few different answers, but one man was winning this one. Mm. And we did mention it earlier. It was Ayumi Sasaki winning in Austria. To come back from the disappointment in Qatar where he had the win in the bag and then the 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 save of the high side happened and then he the fairings popped off the bike. You know, he couldn't do anything about that. There was no nothing that anyone could have done to to prevent that. Mm-hmm. But he just redeemed himself. It was it was coming, it was brewing. Everyone was like, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And then when it did in such stunning fashion, like mm-hmm. he broke away and we don't see that very often in Moto Three races. Like he knew what he had to do and he went out and did it and yeah, you just think that if he could have pulled that out of the bag at the start of the year, we'd be talking about maybe a, a different world champion in Moto3. You never know. Yeah, and um, he had to serve two long lap penalties as well. 
Yeah. Which was just the fact that he'd come back to then get such a breakaway after those. I know in Moto3, we often say that it's not long that penalties don't do anything, but at the end of the day, he had two of them. And like, I just, to me, I, I still can't believe, quite believe the fact that he came away and won it in the fashion that he did. Yeah. It was just such an outstanding performance. I think it's also, you have to consider it that he had a really, really bad crash in, was it so Mijalo? In the okay. first half of the season. Yeah, yeah where Mijalo. he had to sit out the two after two. So there was collarbones yeah. that we thought were broken and then ended up not yeah. being broken. Like it's, We thought he broke like, both his collarbones, which thankfully he hadn't. But well, yeah. He had to sit out, out a couple of races, then the summer break came. I mean, it throws you a bit out of your rhythm and to still perform so well it's a huge achievement mm. it's a bit like yeah if you compare it to Pedro Acosta breaking his leg over to, or yeah, yeah sitting out the summer break and then coming back so strong it's just nice to see because they have this entire emotional journey yeah yeah which we talked about a lot earlier yeah, yeah. we love we seeing love that riders them. are human like i just yeah anything that just brings it all back down to earth is just amazing mm-hmm. um i think mentioning pedro acosta no one surprisingly wrote that down of the fact that pedro acosta broke his femur at the start of the summer break or just before the summer break and then managed to win races in the second half of the season like breaking your I mentioned femur it could be a career ending injury Hi, hi. It was insane. And like I'm I'm I didn't pick that one because I spoke about it last week and because we did like a picks thing. And I was like, I'm not bring I'm not bringing that up again because (laughs) last week I spoke about it for way too long. But no, it's exactly that. It's it's just the the way that these riders then can then come back and be well not not these riders, the Pedro Costa, the Suzaki, the way that they can come back so quickly and just be right at the top again is just unbelievable like still like I said I still don't know how they do it and lots of hats off no, to no. maybe no. their bones are made out of like some special material I think like, <laughs> bones of steel robot, to be honest like, <laughs> I think the most impressive thing for me is just the confidence in yeah. yourself when you know that your body isn't fully functioning but you still have the confidence to yeah. throw it all at it just to get that win. It's just amazing. Yeah, definitely. And I did talk a lot about we love seeing performances where it shows that the riders are human. But on the flip side, I do quite this enjoy does. performances like that that show us that the riders are actually superhuman sometimes. Yeah. You know, <laughs> they are they are mental. You know, there is that flip and I just I'll never be able to wrap my head around how they're able to put their body on the line like that. I think we want to see superhuman performances, but very human emotional reactions yeah. to it. That's yeah. the yeah. best part We're of so it. So used to Mark Marquez winning championships. We we just want to see it recreated in every way possible. <laughs> and people put their own spin on it, you know. It's it's special. And those are the ones that, that stick out in your mind, definitely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the best standalone performance in any class was Ayumi Sasaki in Austria. Moving on then, this one was won quite convincingly by someone and it is the overall rookie of the year from any class and it had to go to Alonso Lopez. Like, mm. he missed the first, what, six races of the season? Five, six? Comes in, six. 
finishes within the top 10 of the championship. Like, hi. His first podium, his first win. Four positions in Valencia. Uh, like, <laughs> how did he do it? Yeah. I, Still no idea. <laughs> I said it in last week's episode. Well, the bottom line is, when you finished listening to this episode, go listen to go last, last week's last episode. Week's. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's just, I stand fully behind the statement of Alonso Lopez is the best thing that happened to Moto2 this season. And yeah. he's yeah. the most exciting person to join this year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like to, to think that he was sitting on a sofa. I say sitting on a sofa, he was probably training. Training. Doing some <laughs> yeah. Sort. yeah. Probably doing like, some crazy thing like running 100 kilometers or cycling. Yeah. Like how doing these, an Ironman. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But to think that he wasn't in the Moto 2 class at the start of this year to end up where he ended yeah. up. I mean, incredible now he did miss out in the mood on the moto 2 rookie of the year to pedro costa and we've just bigged pedro costa up and he was the other person that that people voted for you know i think these two are really special and this is the most competitive that moto 2 has been in years like i cannot Mm. remember a time where moto 2 has been this exciting like i got excited to watch moto 2 races which has never happened before in my life i'm always like all right okay moto 2 is coming on you sort of know what's gonna happen you know or maybe it was only two or three riders involved in in the title fight but now we've got you know 10 to 15 riders that could pull it out of the bag any weekend but Alonso Lopez and Pedro Costa I think are just that little step above everyone else yeah and it could, uh, could be spicy next year I will reluctantly agree with that because I would like to put Alan Canet in the same category but I do have to agree <laughs> that those two people are just outstanding yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think there was another, unreal. Yeah. There was another mention here for Marco Bazzacchi. I couldn't go without mentioning him. Yeah. He obviously was the rookie of the year in Mudo GP. Fully deserved. Pole positions, second places. He had it all this season. And if you'd asked me this at the start of the season, if Marco Bazzacchi was going to be the rookie, I had some inklings, but he was not the person that I had my money on, to be honest. Who did you have your money on, Lauren? Who do That's I have an important money question. On? Who did yeah. you? I think I said Raul. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I think but everyone had, like, everyone kind of thought that the rookies wouldn't do that great, like yeah. overall. If that mm. makes sense. So, like, yeah. I, I think, I thought they would be a lot closer. Like, definitely not getting pole positions yeah. on the podium. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Fabio Di Gentonio got a pole position yeah, as well. That Actually, was we should, such a shock. Mention that. Yeah, oh, that yeah. was a bit circumstantial, though. It was, it was a great, good. it was a great, great pole position, and he did incredible. But it, I think, under normal weather conditions, he might have not gotten it. I think just it, the rookies overperformed. I think all of them did, to yes. be honest. Like in some ways, not every race weekend, and not you know, not in every aspect, but. In one way or another, all the rookies were able to pull something out of the bag in MotoGP, I think, which was, it's quite Mm -hmm. special, you know. But yeah, Alonso Lopez is the overall rookie of the year. It's it's hard to look past him. But now we move on to, finally, a lot of people will be saying, the final category of the TSL Awards. And we have Rider of the Season 
the overall best rider in all three classes or out of all three classes. And we had a pretty good response for the newly crowned Moto3 world champion, Izan Guevara. Now, rewind your, your memory back to Kota in 2021. And tell me... <laughs> We're just going to keep bringing this up. Tell me... It's, really, the pot. it's in you every think, podcast episode. Did you ever think that we would be talking about Izan Guevara as the best rider of the season? No. To be honest, yes, I did. Because <laughs> really? he had a couple of such strong performances no. last he was very strong last I mean, year. I mean, he was good. And uh, I didn't him, think. No, I didn't I... think. I I didn't think it would come so soon. Yeah. But I did believe that he would become a world champion. Oh yeah, because be very, I was fully committed that because Acosta moved up to make it. Yeah. I was fully sure that Garcia had this championship yeah. in the bag. Yeah. Yeah. And no, then Isan was just rocking up like, "Hi guys, I'm but here to, to take fair. the championship away." Just mine now. <laughs> if you look back at Isan Guevara's career, he beat Pedro Acosta in the in the junior classes. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a bit spicy next season, then. Exactly, considering they're both on front running bikes. But yeah, I mean, I I for one didn't think that Isan Guevara was going to be so convincing for the championship win. I thought he was going to be good, but see, mm. after the summer break, I'm not that good. He just. Like wow, and, I have no words. Performances, it's yeah. like it was pickle. just the same every weekend. Like Dominant? he'd get to the front yeah. and he'd be gone. Like yeah. that was it. I think yeah. it's yeah. also such a big achievement in Moto Three to do it on your own, not yeah. rely on other people, uh, slipstreaming or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that's the main thing that set him apart from all the rest. Yeah. And like that's... in quality. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, that's also the reason why I think he's the only one that deserved the to win the championship this oh, year. Yeah. I mean, in all the other classes, I have a couple of people where I think performance wise they all deserved it, but the end it can only be one. But in Moto three, it was just so so clear yeah. that Izan deserves this. Yeah. yeah, he was a standout performer. I mean, seven wins is a bit crazy. A bit like special. Yeah, four it's them, just four of them in Spain as well. Yeah, and like, it's like the Spanish races he won, which is pretty good for a Spanish rider. Yeah, good, good for him. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he's just he's just been unreal this season, and I I genuinely don't know. Like, it's not that I didn't know that it was coming. I just like you said, I didn't think it was coming so soon. Yeah, and it's just it's the the golden talent, and long may it continue. Oh yeah, like yeah, I think if you look. If you look back, you would have known that it was coming. Yeah. But if you if you didn't know who Yigzan Guevara was, who I didn't really because I don't really follow the junior classes and I, I really should more because there's riders like mm-hmm. this coming up and then they burst onto the scene like, who's this? And then they start dominating. And if I just watched a few junior class races, I would have gone, yeah, that makes a bit more sense now. But, you know, we have I a mean, few I'm... coming up this year with the likes of Rieda. So, you know. He looks good. He does. Yeah, yeah I mean... I watched I watched it last season. I think I mentioned on one of the episodes at some point about him beating Pedro Acosta in, in yeah. the Red Bull Rookies Cup. Like I knew of his caliber before he came to Moto Three, but I didn't I still didn't I don't know, I still didn't put two and two together. Like yeah. it it's just it's very special being able to spot a talent like Ethan or like Pedro Acosta. Yeah. And yeah, the fact that these team managers can do it is a bit 
crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also so excited to see David Alonso on the Gas Gas Aspar. Yes. That's going to be great. That will be good. That definitely will be good. A few more honourable mentions, though, for riders of the season. Peko Bangaya. You cannot go without looking mm. past Peko Bangaya, whether you like him or you don't like him. Unbelievable. Like, that is world-class performances. And I can eat my words massively again for the millionth time this episode because I said at the start of the season he didn't have what it took to win the championship. I also said that, sorry. And he <laughs> proved us all wrong. I think he mm. had help in some forms. You know, I don't think team orders played as big as maybe what was let on. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, I've said this, the riders are what make the bike world-class bikes you know and Peko mm-hmm. Bagnaia has that and I'm I'm really glad that he's proven that because I think going into next season now we've got a lot of people that could win the championship and that just it makes things so much yeah. more exciting like I like seeing big battles like this as much as it's good to see dominating performances from the likes of Marc Marquez it's also really good to see it chop and change every week sort of yeah. like it did this season you know there was a, a cat and mouse chase going on this season with him and, mm-hmm. and Fabio Quattararo and it it was impressive and it is the biggest gap ever in motorsport history that he was able to bring down and take the lead of the championship and then win it you know yeah it's special it it really is and it's like after he had I think he had two DNFs in Catalonia and Saxony and then he went on to win the next four races yeah. and it's just it's that sort of mental strength that I'm really glad that he found to overcome like what we said like last season. Um, it's just that sort of mentality really sets up sets you apart. And obviously yeah. his bike is brilliant, but riders win championships. Yeah. That's what I also wanted to mention. We talked so many times about Paco basically throwing his chances of a championship away on his own. Uh with mm silly mistakes that were preventable where maybe the situation or the stress gets too much into his head and at the beginning it looked like that I now looking back at how everything played out I do believe that it was more the bike's fault that there were issues with the bike um which they fixed look in the mirror as well like I think he um, did take that step that a lot of us thought he wasn't gonna take also I mean the I I just don't know how you manage to be so strong in like and in how many races was it 15 races at a time almost 15 races where he was just there mm. every single day yeah yeah it doesn't matter if it was a friday or a saturday or sunday he was just on his a game every single time and he didn't lose his cool once yeah yeah definitely uh, quickly, we have to mention Enea Bastianini. We've talked about him a lot already this episode, so I'm just going to throw his name out there about how great he was this season and how exciting it's going to be to see him in red next season. Uh, if you haven't seen the photos, go look up Ducati's Instagram and Twitter because we've obviously seen how the bike is going to look next year, roughly. And yeah, it looks it looks very good. And with a lot of his performances in the second half of the season, he's going to be battling for the championship. So he's one to look out for and definitely was a rider of the season. Alicia Spagro is another one. Again, we've talked about him a lot and how it was slightly disappointing how 
the season went for him. But again, if you told me that was the performance he was going to put in at the start of the season, I wouldn't believe you. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was unbelievable and and long may it last for Alicia Spagro. Definitely. But I think that is it. So yeah, Isan Guevara was undeniably the best rider of the season in MotoGP or in the MotoGP world, I should say. Um, maybe in a couple of years' time, we'll do this again and say that Isan Guevara is the, the best MotoGP rider. So you never know, looking never into know. the future. <laughs> but I think that is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, we rambled a lot about different topics completely off of the categories that we had laid out but (laughs) I think that always makes for a fun episode and of course I know there are plenty of things that we did not mention in this episode and performances and and riders but we would be here for hours if we tried to include them all so we just tried to to pick out our our best bits of the season so like I said thank you very much for listening if you want to find us anywhere we are at the siding lap and we will be back next week with another episode